right that we sing about the power of your very being, your presence, your name. And we've tasted your your presence, your sweetness. We've we've been moved by your power. We we have experienced some of, of, of what's meant when we say your name. God, I, I suspect, I can speak only for me, but I suspect I'm not the only one. We know not nearly as much of you as we think we know. And I'm asking God that not in just one sermon, but in significant, elongated seasons of our lives, you would be drawing us closer still, teaching us more. Not just academic stuff, but teaching us relationally what it is to walk with you. What it is to truly, as we'll look at this morning, to live not by sight, but to live by faith, to walk by your promises. God, help us to, to really understand what we're singing when we say, what a powerful name. God, help us to get that and use our time together this morning. To achieve that, God, would you please? In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you. May be seated. Brought a Bible with you. Open the Gospel of John, chapter 20. Find the Bible with you if you want to follow along. Or if you have the Bible on your phone, you can scroll along. Very good to see each of you here in our Easter outfits. I had a... I had a uh, uh, a funny, painful memory this morning, and, and, and I'm, I'm about to, I was really young, six, seven years old, it was Easter, we had to get dressed up for Easter, and and, and my dad was the pastor, and, and mom's doing whatever mom's doing, and my older brother's still sleeping, and come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, and and uh, dad said, come on, Dave, come on, Dave, we gotta be, come on, come on, let's get, let's get and and so he got my little shirt and it's the only white shirt and I've had it for you know I'm seven years old but I've probably I've had this shirt for three years but someone else had it for five years you know how that goes and, and it's I'm, I'm outgrowing it and and my dad's fingers are thick and and he's got this and I'm I'm gagging and it's hurting and I'm thinking this is Easter and I come to church this morning I'm putting on my tie this morning which I don't wear ties a lot. And uh, but it's Easter and okay I'll put on a tie and 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 then I had this had this beautiful wonderful thought we'll get to the sermon. <laughs> so Jesus and the apostles, no central air and heat, no automobiles, no plane travel, no no electronic banking conveniences. No running water. Very little way to heat your water. Cold baths. And, I mean, just, I'm, I'm thinking about all that stuff. And then I thought, yeah, they didn't wear neckties. <laughs> and I thought, that might be an okay trade. That, I, I might be able to take all of that. That I wouldn't have to wear neckties. That has nothing to do with Easter, other than 
other than there's this really okay custom that we really get dressed up. Used to be every Sunday now, at least Easter. And then here comes the serious sermon piece. I don't think Jesus is looking at our neckties and our flowery new sundresses or whatever it is that we've done. I think he's looking at our hearts. He looked right past this necktie and looked to my heart. So maybe we could relax the neckties and work more on our hearts. I don't come here straight from the gym. So let's work on our hearts. Let's work on our hearts. And that's what we're going to do this morning. Gospel of John, chapter 20. There was a memorial service here at the church yesterday for Judy Gore's mom, Judy Massa, Donnie's mother-in-law. And uh, I kind of cheated. So for the six or eight of you that were here yesterday, uh, we get to the end of the chapter, a little, little review. You can take your nap then at the end. And this morning, we were at the cemetery for sunrise service, 6.30. Mm-hmm. I came home and fell asleep. It was almost late to church. We were at the cemetery this morning, and I looked at the first ten verses of chapter 20. I'm not going to review that with you now, but just catch this. Peter and John believe. They get to the empty church, and they believe because they saw the the face wrap, napkin, cloth, that Jesus had at his resurrection moment. He stands up. He's revived from death. He stands up and he revives himself after three days of the equivalent of death for him. Scriptures are pretty clear. He is very active during that three days. But his body is... So he revives himself to to sort of kind of human life, not the same as before. He's passing through walls and he's transporting himself from this place to this place immediately. And, but still in, in, in a human form, people can recognize him and interact with him. The stone is moved away, not to let him out, but to prove he's out already. And Peter and John and, and the other women, they see this empty tomb, but Peter and John see the cloth. And the Bible says in verse 8 or 9 of that opening paragraph, they saw that and they believed. They saw the cloth that Jesus had unwrapped his head with. And everything else is, is laying, not in the mess, but it's, it's, it's laying. But, but this, he's folded. And the apostles see that and say, oh, it, it is real. It, it, it is real. And this whole chapter is about that. There's four or five distinct movements. There's these, these, these larger sections, these paragraphs. And they tell a completely or significantly different story. But each of them are connected on this point. It's because of what they saw. Because of what happened. They believe, oh, the resurrection is real. First one was seeing this call. The second one takes us back to Mary. It seems at the end of verse 10 that everyone has gone. Peter and John go back to their homes and well, the home they were staying in. 
The other women have gone back to their homes, but Mary is still wandering around. And, and she's not going in to see the cloth like Peter and John had seen. And she's wandering out in the garden. This is Gethsemane. It's not far from the tomb. It's not in the garden of Gethsemane, but it's not far from. She's wandering around, not so much the garden, but these tombs. And she's weeping. So pick up with me in verse 19. I'm sorry, verse 11. Start with me in verse 11. She's weeping outside the tomb. And, and she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels. One of the head, one of the body, the feet. And the angels say in verse 13, Woman, lady, ma'am, why are you so upset? Why are you weeping? What's, what's got you in this state? Luke records, they said even more, when the women show up, Luke says, and the angel said, why, why do you seek the living amongst the dead? What a great question on Easter morning. You're looking for a living Jesus. Why do you hear in the tombs? He's not here. Have a look somewhere else. That's the place of death. Jesus is alive. What are you looking for him here for? And John takes their statements and forms it this way. Why are you weeping? She said, they've taken away the Lord and, and I don't know where they've laid him. She turns around and she sees Jesus. The resurrected Jesus is, is, is right there in verse 14. She turns around and sees Jesus, but she did not know it was him. Wow. Wow. How many times has God intervened in your life? You go, wow, that was fortunate. Yeah. You had no idea that was God. Right. How, how many times has something amazing happened? Or... This may not encourage you so much, but it's the truth of, of, of God's ways. He brought some pain into your life. He's like, I can't believe this is happening to me! Only to discover six weeks, six months, or some time later, you're worse for at least the lowest ten moments of your life. It turns into this beautiful, beautiful result. And you go, wow, I got, I'm glad I got through that. Well, yeah. God brought that, and yeah. he sustained you through it. Yeah. God is around us all the time, but we don't see it. Yeah, right. yeah. Just like Mary here. Mm. Verse 15. Jesus says, Woman, why are you weeping? Just like the angels asked. They say in 13, Jesus says in 15, why, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Now, Jesus knows why she's weeping, and he makes the point. You're looking for someone, aren't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to get philosophical with you and, 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 and lose the rest of the chapter and go off and never get back, but everybody's looking for something. Yeah. Yeah. Or someone. Mm -hmm. And we think God has nothing to do with that. And I'm telling you out of my own personal experience, God has everything to do with that. Yeah. 10,000 statements, or at least 15 are in my mind right now. Let's leave them there. Whom are you seeking? And supposing Jesus to be the gardener. She said, sir, sir, if you carried him off, you're the gardener, you, you take care of stuff. I'm sure you got a shed around here somewhere with tools. Have you hidden him? At, or, or is he getting water? Where is he? You, you probably know. You No one else seems to know. Where did, where did you put him? 
Tell me and I'll go get him. So where's his dead body? Where do you put him? An angel has not jolted her into reality. The face of Jesus has not startled her into awareness. And I don't think this is a cruel verse. But it is a, I don't know what word to use, is it direct? I'm not sure I would say stern. She's not in disobedience, she's just caught in doubt. As if that's a small thing. And I don't know how to accurately illustrate, but in my sense, she, he would say, Mary. Mary. Mary, it's me. There's something about his voice. There's something about his directness. There's something about his urgency. Why do we force God to be that stern? Why do we, why do we press him with our doubt and no, show me again. More signs, more signs, more signs. More help, more help. More money, more money. Take all my pain away. I don't want any kind of pain ever. And he says, David. And he calls you by name. Now, I've never heard a voice in my ear. But I've developed through the years, just like I know how to read my wife's face. Okay. <laughs> I crossed the line again. <laughs> and you develop the sense of, of reading things. We've not developed well the sense of, oh, God is speaking to me. I get it. Okay. I, I, I've been through this before. I, I'm, I've missed this 20,000 times. I'm starting to get this. Mary. Mary. And I don't know what... what kind of translation you're reading these days in, in, in the scriptures that you carry or, or that you read. But the one that I'm looking at these days, the uh, English Standard Version, has an exclamation point at the end of her statement. Rabbi, which is Aramaic for Rabbi. Rabbi? Rabbi, speaking Aramaic. Master, teacher, might be the easiest, most accurate English word. My Bible gives us the, the exclamation point. I've always thought it might have been a question mark. Jesus, is that you? Is that you? Or, or, or maybe, as if this is a possibility, I'm wrong and these brilliant translators are right. <laughs> it was this, yes, yes, it's you! Now, John doesn't give us the specific details, but look at verse 17. Jesus said, don't cling to me. Now, he wouldn't have said that unless, of course, she's clinging to him. From verse 16, Ramana, to 17, she has fallen at his feet. She's embraced his, 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 his lower knee, knee and down, and she's like, I'm never going to let you on my side again. Do you catch the emotion? Do you see the heart? Do, do you feel her her satisfaction? Oh my goodness, you're not dead and you are here. Right. Right. This is beautiful. Now he's not saying, and I, I, you probably, maybe not, but there, there's this theory that's been around for hundreds of years 
thousands by now. We're at 2,000 plus years. That, no, I'm, I'm holy, he can't touch me. He, he's not saying that. He is saying, Aaron, i got work to do. Can't stay here with you all day, honey. I love you, but I, 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 I got... I got things I got to do. This is kind of important time for me right now, Betty. I got to go. <laughs> do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But help me do this work that I'm doing right now. I'm letting people know I'm alive. Mary, would you help me do that? You go tell the brothers. Jesus, I, I, I can't spend all day with you here, honey. I got appointments. I have divine appointments today. How don't you help me in this? This is beautiful. If you have embraced the deity of Christ and this beautiful, hope-filled doctrine of the resurrection, then you have assignments too. And he's saying to us exactly what he's saying to Simon. Why don't you help me tell people that I'm alive from the dead? That my death has accomplished substitutionary atonement. I didn't pay for my sins. Mary, I paid for your sins. David, I paid for your sins. And our great joy is to tell people, look, you don't have to die alone without forgiveness. Christ is explaining to us payment for our sins. He's become our Passover lamb. It's as old as the Exodus. It was renewed every year at that same celebratory moment, the annual event. A year ago, first Passover, a year ago, we walked out of Egypt. Two years ago, 2,000 plus to the resurrection, further back to the original Passover, that we didn't die because a lamb died for us. And the Bible always refers to Jesus as the Lamb of God who was slain, not just at the first Passover, not just at Calvary, but in the mind of God, Jesus was slain before the foundations of the earth. And because Jesus was slain as our substitutionary Passover Lamb, we have good news to tell people. And he's saying, Mary, go go tell the brothers that I'm alive. He's saying to us, let's Let's get the word out. Let's get the word out. So she does. Verse 18. Can you hear this? Can you imagine? I've seen the Lord. I want to be crystal clear with you. I've never with my natural eyes seen the Lord. But I'm not kidding. I'm I'm as urgent as I know how to be with you. I got 10,000, 100,000 times in ways I've seen him. This is my story. This is my song. Praising the Savior all the day. I've seen the Lord. Now Mary is thrilled. I'm not taking away from her. Mary is thrilled because Jesus startled her out of her whatever that is. Give it whatever word you think fits. And because she's been awakened, startled, jolted out of out of that thing, she is filled with joy. But it happened because she saw him. Peter and John saw the cloth. Mary sees Jesus. 
Luke gives us a lot of details what happens during the afternoon. John goes right to that Sunday evening, Resurrection Day evening. We pick up in verse 19. It's the evening. Right away, you get it, verse 19. It's the first day of the week. Jesus raised on the first day of the week. This is the one we worship on Sunday, not Saturday anymore. From creation. God works six days, and on the seventh day, He rested. And the Sabbath was always the day of rest, and it included worship. But now everything's different. Jesus has conquered death. We're free from our sins. And while the Sabbath hasn't changed, it's still a day of rest, or at least by God's design. Sunday has become a day of worship. Because we celebrate every Sunday the resurrection. Every Sunday. Every first day of the week. But now it's evening of the first day of the week, and the doors are locked because they're still afraid the Romans are going to come kill us. I should more accurately say the Jewish hierarchy that hates Jesus, and they know we're standing, we're sort of kind of standing with Jesus. We've got a little distance because it got dangerous. They might come after us too. But here comes verse 20. Verse 19, stay with me, I'm sorry, verse 19. Jesus came. Jesus came. He just appears in the room. I really don't like that picture we've all seen, and, and if you've got some religious pictures, I, I really do not like at all. It's kind of being pastorally nice. I hate this picture <laughs> that, that, that Jesus is outside this door, and he's knocking on the door, and they give you that verse of Revelation, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And then, oh my goodness, I really don't like this because I can only tell you at my conversion and about 10 million times after my conversion I'm off doing my own thing and I find myself in the Garden of Eden not like Mary looking for Jesus Jesus is in my rear view mirror and I'm pursuing my own personal interests and Jesus gave he doesn't knock on the door and say, can I come in, please? Would you be nice to let me in? That's right. God in his grace tackles me because yeah. I'm running away. Yeah. So Jesus just appears. He's there. He's with them. And he doesn't say, alright, enough of this. You guys got to pull it together. Let's go. He says, peace be with you. I'm compassionate about your fears. I'm mindful of your earthiness. I'm not approving, but I understand your sense of self-preservation. I'm here for you. I'm here with you. You're not alone. Peace. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. He's not excusing our sin and our doubt. But it's not punches in the face either. You need to know that. You need to believe that. Peace. Let's give us a green light sin all we want. That's okay. Just keep getting more forgiveness. Paul reasons against that strongly in the book of Romans. What shall we say? Let's get more grace so we can keep on sinning? God forbid! 
but he does come to us with peace. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. He shows them his hands and his sides. Verse 20 says, they were glad. They were glad. Yeah. Doesn't it make you smile when you yeah. finally realize that God's been there the whole time? Yeah. Wow. We get that we get that mixed emotion of how did I not see it? How did I see it now? How did I not see it? Yeah. Oh, they were glad. They were glad when they saw the Lord. And now he mentions the second time, peace. Peace. Now catch this in twenty one. So as the Father has sent me, and I've been with you this three and a half years, now I'm sending you. Mm -hmm. Are you sent Mary? Are you sent on the way? And she's telling whoever she knows, interacting with her, you know, Facebook friends. <laughs> <laughs> What's your circle? Tell your circle. Some of you have, a, a, you know, six or eight people in your circle. Some of you have 60 or 80, and some of you have who knows how many in your circle of influence or circle of relationship. So I'm not responsible for the whole wide world. I'm responsible to, 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 to my circle. And I have ever-widening circles. As, as, as a husband, it's, it's just the two of us. That's not like a great song. We can make it if we try. <laughs> And then there's the five of us. And then those three got married. They had kids, and the circle got wider and wider. And then, of course, because God loves to use people that no one in their right mind would say, well, of course he's a pastor. Look at him. He's amazing. No, God loves to take people that you've got to be kidding me. And, and, do, wow, and God can do anything. So I've got that circle. And then there's a community circle. And i got my neighbors on either side. And so what's your circle? work and play and people at the gym and, and you know, you bump into the same people walking the dog every morning at 4 a.m. or whatever you're doing. Go tell them. Go tell them. As the Father has sent me, I'm now sending you. He breathed on them like a, just a preview of the day of Pentecost. 50 days from Passover. Acts chapter 2. This is a preview of that. Receive the Holy Spirit. So I'm not sending you on your own. I'm going with you. But I'm not going to be with you bodily. See, it's a good thing that Jesus goes back to heaven after the resurrection. I've got to tell you, if, if Jesus were like right now in Jerusalem, do you think I'd be living in New Jersey? <laughs> if Jesus was living in Jerusalem, no one would want to leave Jerusalem. So he bodily leaves, but God is with us in the person of God, the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. Yes. So the Holy Spirit comes. And look at this. This is amazing, verse 23. Horribly misunderstood and therefore misapplied. But here's what he says. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness, it is without. Wow. And there's a number of denominations. There's a number of denominations, not just one. So if you think I'm picking on one, no, I'm picking one, six or seven. 
that there is this, this pastoral sense of you do this, and I'll pronounce you forgiven. You do this, and if you ever do that, I'll pronounce you not forgiven at all. And I think the pronouncement has nothing to do with my perception. It has everything to do with looking for the true, lasting fruit of righteousness of people walking with Jesus. Well, why would you say that? Because that's the way Jesus dealt with the twelve. You'll even see it after the resurrection. We, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Judas and Peter are radically different, but the difference is more internal than external. Judas loves money more than he loves Jesus, and his true colors came to the surface at the very last. He had covered it well. He had covered it well for three and a half years. In fact, it seems only Jesus knew what Judas was doing. He knew it the whole time. And then at the very end, at the very end, Judas' true colors came out. And his own sin condemned him. Peter is not sinless. And when push comes to shove, the very first of the mock trials that Jesus goes through Friday night, Thursday night, got that one. Yeah, Thursday night. Peter's outside warming his hands at the fire. And people say, hey, you have a Galilean accent. In fact, your face looks clear. You know what? I've seen you with Jesus. I don't know Jesus. I don't, I, no, I don't know. You got me mistaken. No, not, it's not me, babe. Not me. Not at all. And, and, and what? Three times he does this. Jesus had predicted, prophesied, declared, after Judas is left, one of you will deny me. I'm not talking about Judas. Judas is a separate category. He's out already. He's gone. He completely betrayed me. But you, one of you, remaining 11, will deny me. And Peter, Peter, so overcome, says, well, I don't know about the rest of these knuckleheads, but that won't be me. You really have to know original language to get that translation. <laughs> Peter says, absolutely not. It will not be me. Jesus says, Peter, you make it too easy, man. I'm talking exactly about you. And after the resurrection, and it's all played out, Peter was with John early this morning at the tomb. He saw the empty tomb, and he's convinced. But he's carrying his guilt. You carrying your guilt? He's carrying his guilt. And he says to the other 11, I am so unfaithful. I, I denied Jesus. At his most crucial moment, right before he died, I can't be no apostle. I quit. I resign. I'm going back to fishing. I, I can't do this. I quit. And the other said, well, Peter, we know better than you. If you quit, we quit. They all quit. And you'll find this passage that they're out fishing. And Jesus shows up. <laughs> Peter's so excited. He jumps. He doesn't even wait to, to sail or row in. He jumps in water and swims to shore. And Jesus made breakfast for him and fish for breakfast. It was probably lots. <laughs> and finally Jesus brings it up. He says, hey Peter, 
do you love me? Mm. He doesn't say, you know, you got some nerve showing up here looking for breakfast. I know what you did. He doesn't say anything like that. He said, Peter, how, how are we doing? You still love me? Oh, you, you know I love you. In fact, it's because I love you so much I quit because I think you're better off without me. Well, let's get to seven. Clearly, Jesus is better out with, with any of us. What, what am I doing for the kingdom of God? Well, Pastor, you. All that's good in any of us is God's work in us. That goodness is not intrinsic to me. And if you think it is, boy, you don't understand the gospel at all. The Apostle Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God. Amen. <laughs> Jesus says, peace to this crowd. And a couple days later, he says, forgiveness, Peter. Forgiveness. It's about grace, son. I knew you were going to do this when I called you. I'm not approving it. But I am forgiving it. Now, come on, let's go. Let's go. Isn't that beautiful? I, I get uncomfortable. People say, oh, you got to learn how to forgive yourself. I think I know what people mean when they say that. I think more precisely I'm saying, no, you need to understand that Christ has forgiven you. Yeah. Believe that. Believe that. Yeah. Believe that Christ has forgiven you. And if Christ has forgiven you, okay, I can stand up. Yeah. I can stand up. The forgiveness being mentioned in verse 23 has nothing to do with, you jumped through all of my religious hoops, so therefore I declare you righteous. I don't have any religious hoops. I don't have any religious expectations. In fact, I, I, I'm not pessimistic, but I'm trying real hard to be extremely realistic. And we're going to mess up. And we're going to mess up sometimes like in all capital bold letters. That's why... The world's looking at us and saying, you people just go to church. You're really no different than the rest of us. We better be finding an accurate, honest way to say, yeah, you're largely right there. I still struggle with sin in my mind, and sometimes it leads, goes beyond my mind into my mouth and my actions. But this I know. In my heart, I have been changed and I'm fighting my flesh to let that change be seen. I'm fighting my flesh, my old nature, to let that righteousness of Christ in me be seen. And when I see a person, when I see a person fighting their sinful impulses, you know, I can get away with this and no one would know. Yeah, but you would know, and certainly God would know. And, and, and that's the point, isn't it? We're not doing what we're doing for image or reputation. I'm in a relationship with the living God. I'm not unfaithful to my wife because I don't want to hurt her feelings. I'm not unfaithful to my wife because I love her. I love her more than I love myself. Oh, my, well, then you're just, by the way, you're a nice guy. Absolutely not. I learned this from Jesus. I learned this from Jesus. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, self, and love your neighbor at least as much as you love yourself. And we should love him as much as Christ loves us. This is a learned thing. Selflessness, sacrifice, other-centeredness. 
None of us get to that instinctively. We figure it out. I've arrived to some higher level of humanity. Oh, please. Please. When I see someone fighting the flesh, no matter how deeply entrenched they still are, I get encouraged because they're at least fighting the flesh by the power of God in them. That's the people who've been forgiven. I'm not looking for perfection. I'm not looking for say this, do this, contribution to the church. No, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for the evidence that I have been forgiven. You know what the evidence has been? You know what the evidence is? It's the difference between Judas and Peter. Peter was grieved by his sin. Judas, to the last moment, is still trying to pull it off and get away with it. He's not grieved by anything. That's the difference. That's the difference. And when I see people fighting their flesh, oh, I hate that sin still has this pull on my life. That's a good thing. I think you're showing evidence of true spiritual life there, brother, sister. This is good. This is good stuff. Stay in the fight. Fight the good fight of faith. To believe. To believe. But Jesus said to Peter, I am forgiven. Now lastly, this is the review for if you were here yesterday. <laughs> Verse 24. Thomas who had a twin, one of the twelve, was not there. Just let that sink in. We have this, we have this presumptuous, we have this presumptuous notion. It's mythical, but we have this notion that well, you know, it's every week. Church every week. Every Wednesday Bible study. Every small group meeting, once a week, twice a month. It's, it's, you know, we do the same thing. We read a verse, and, and we pray, and we talk, and then we get off track, and then we talk about everything else. Well, but eventually someone will bring us back to the scriptures, and it's the same old, same old, and it's no big deal. It's no big deal if I'm this. It's no big deal. I'll catch up. I'll I love this little verse tucked away in the opening chapters of Hebrews. That God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. We've, we've lost our sense of appetite for these, these little nuggets, these, 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 these moments, these, these, these Sentences, or nothing have to be full come. There's there are these snippets of life, and and you just never know when they're going to come. You you never know when it's going to happen. You you never know. You're on a topic, and all of a sudden someone has this amazing insight from the scriptures out of their own life experience to the very topic you're talking about, and they say something, and it's like, oh my goodness, you you just answered a big dilemma I've been struggling with in my life. But you would have missed it if you went there. A line from a song, a comment from a friend, a, a something happened, something was said, something something was said that was profound, something was said that made you laugh like you hadn't laughed in months, and, and all of a sudden, the light came on in some area of your life, and oh, thank you God for that, but you would have missed it if you weren't there. In this case, you missed a pretty big moment. The resurrected Jesus is there. Wow. 
Well, I've never seen the resurrected Jesus with natural eyes. But I can tell you, sometimes in the office by myself, boy, does he show up. And I'm smiling, and then I'm crying, and I'm singing out loud, off key to myself and him. And sometimes in worship, boy, Jesus shows up. And we go, oh yeah, that's when people really shout and clapping and that. No, sometimes I've seen Jesus show up, and it was just dead quiet, and we all had our faces virtually to the floor. And I've seen those other times, but man, singing was amazing. People were hugging and kissing and were thrilled and happy and joy. I've seen that too. Jesus does sometimes bring emotion, but Jesus is not just emotion. I've had some other emotions that Jesus had nothing to do with those emotions. Let's not talk about that in church. You can't equate Jesus with emotions. It's, 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 it's not absolutely the same. But he does affect us, spirit, soul, and even body. And when you aren't there and Jesus is, man, you miss something. Yeah. Verse 24. So the other disciples said, and you know how this conversation, oh, 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 Thomas, you should have been in church last Sunday. Shut up. What are you talking about? Jesus is dead? Yeah. We're all suckers? What are you talking about? No, Jesus is not dead. He's alive. We saw. Shut up. There's no way. And here it comes. Here, here, here it comes. Unless I see, verse 25, unless I see, we're back to that. We're back to that. Peter and John saw the cloth. Oh, now we believe. Three and a half years walking to Jesus before we saw the cloth. Now we believe. Mary believed when she saw. Oh, he is alive. Call me by name. That's when Mary believed. The disciples Sunday were glad when they saw the Lord. He said, I'm glad you see me. Now let's go to work. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. We got work. Let's go. And here's Thomas. And his friends say, now he knows these guys. He's been living with these guys for three and a half years. You think they would build some trust in three and a half years of intimacy with one another and with Jesus? We saw Jesus. Shut up. You're all crazy. You're deceiving yourself. I'm smarter than that. You guys, no way. Unless I see. Unless I see. 25. Well, verse 26, eight days later. Next Sunday. Now, I want to tell you, I, I think it's worth noting that Jesus is not wringing his hands. Oh, i got to get to Thomas. Can't wait till Sunday. Monday. Thomas, let's talk. I don't think Jesus is cruel. But I think he's wise beyond our perception. And every wise parent has at some point learned, you know what, I've been rushing in to rescue too soon. I'm not never going to abandon my kids. Emotionally, economically. Did I mention economically? You ain't ever going to abandon your kids. Come on. We rush in. We rush in too quick. And they never learn. They never learn to trust God directly because they don't need to trust God. We do everything. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, don't, I can't tell you exactly what's going on, but something is compelling Jesus to say, now let's let's let uh, let's let Thomas roll around in his own mess for a week. 
Now, maybe I'm wording that too cruelly, but something is happening here that the wisdom of God is saying, he will die. I'll rescue him. I spoke peace to these the night of resurrection, and I'll speak peace to others. But Thomas, he made it worse for himself because he wasn't with us. He could have had that original peace Sunday night. And being absent when he first heard, he didn't say, Oh, I'm so ashamed of myself. He says, Absolutely not. Thomas dug in. So when you hear people testify to you of God's presence and power and joy in their life, do you say, Mister, that could be me too. Or do you say, shut up, no way. And do you dig in? What's, what's your response? And, and, and I want to carefully, cautiously add my opinion. This is not language translation. I think, my opinion, she's saying, well, let's let the brother deal with his own self for a week. Mm-hmm. So eight days pass. Thomas is there. Doors are locked. Jesus shows up. I love those statements. And he says again, peace. Peace. Now Thomas had said, I won't believe unless I see. And so Jesus, I love when Jesus gets sarcastic. <laughs> I tell you a lot about me. And Jesus says, hey Tom, what do you think? Yeah. What, what do you think? Yeah. I, I'm ashamed to tell you, and I would begin to weeping. I would begin to weep if, if I got stuck on this and stayed too long. How many times Jesus has said to me, Hey Dave, you 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 bring demands to me. I am your Lord and Master, and you bring demands to me. But in his grace, when he doesn't jump to my demands, he does come to me and say, Okay, okay. You 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 want to kick me around and poke and probe and, and, and get your confirmation? Go ahead. And, 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 and when he pulls me into that kind of conversation, all I can do is fall on the floor and say, oh God, yeah. I'm so ashamed. Stop. No. Yeah. I've, I've been an idiot. No. I don't need to see anything. I don't need that money. I don't need those people to get off my back. God, you know exactly what you're doing. You know exactly what you're doing. I will embrace whatever you bring to me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. God, yeah. I, I don't need that. I thought I wanted that. I thought I needed that. I don't need that, God. What I now know I need is intimacy with you. You will give me the wisdom to deal with this. You will give me. You'll provide. He brings peace. He offers to confirm. I don't need a confirmation. I don't need any confirmation. Here's the heart of God. The end of verse 27. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas, I'm here. I want you to believe something. Try to help you out here. Yeah. You feel guilty and ashamed because, well, you know, you've got to pull yourself. <laughs> but my heart is not against you. Right. My heart's for you, Thomas. Yeah. And he says, verse 28, my Lord and my God. That's beautiful. Oh, Jesus. Thank you. Oh, God. Thank you. Master. Lord of my life. God. Now, here's the point, not just to Thomas, but to the whole chapter. Quick review. 
Peter and John, Peter and John believed because they saw the napkin folded separate from the other clothing up. The resurrected Jesus did that. Mary believes because Jesus spoke to her, startled her, called her by name, and then she believed. Sunday night, the disciples believed because Jesus showed up and spoke peace and gave them the Holy Spirit, the preview of Pentecost. And a week later, Thomas believes in a similar thing. What's going to make you believe? Or what have you already overlooked ten times, a hundred times, ten thousand times or more? And God's saying, how many hoops do you want me to jump through for you? So the whole chapter ends with these illustrations of God meeting people's needs to be confirmed. Three and a half years, believe you, walking with you, but then you go and die on this and we think, we hitched our wagon to a falling star. And Jesus, no you did not! In fact, the problem here is, you miss much of what I'm saying, because I kept telling you, I have to pay for your sin. I kept telling you they're going to come after me and crucify me. I kept telling you this, but it was so far outside of your realm of comprehension that you just wrote it off. And what parts of the Bible are you doing that with? Wow, you know, I don't know about the Bible saying this and this and this and this. I like, I needed Jesus to forgive me, but this? No! So we're going to pick and choose how God reveals himself to us and based on whether he meets all of our little, you know, pressure points, our important parts. Okay, now you've come up to my expectations. Okay, you know what? You know what? You know what? I'm, I'm going to cut you a break. I'm going to believe in you. We're going to cut God a break and believe in him. Like heaven's going to be any less without you. The creator and redeemer of all is saying to us, come unto me and I will give you rest. And I'm saying, well, yeah, wait a second, I need to know, well, are, you, are you this, are you this, are you this? And if you're against this, well, if you're against this, I can't believe anyone's against that. Wow. Now, if you're talking to a high school teacher or college professor, oh, okay, I think there's a place for critical examination. You're talking to God himself. We're going to start making demands? Well, how do we know this God is God? Has anyone else ever communicated with you like God communicates with you? I don't think God ever communicated with me. Well, you may have never heard a voice, and if you do, I, we need to talk even more. <laughs> God's communicating with us all the time. Here's the point at the very end of the chapter. The last line of verse 28. Have you believed me because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen with their natural eye and still believe. This is what links what appears to be these, these, okay, they all happened after the resurrection, but here's what links all these particular, these points together. This is the heart, 
and, and it comes down to just two lines. The very end of, of, of verse 29. The whole chapter comes to its point. If you believe simply because you've seen, then my experience with people like that has been, oh, okay, I know I stole that, but no, I, I need to see more, and it, it's just never enough. It's just never enough. Now, Jesus will condescend our weakness, as we saw in this chapter. He left the napkin. He spoke to Mary. He showed up in the room with the, with the apostles and other disciples Sunday night. And he makes sure he makes church next week just for Thomas. Just for Thomas. Maybe he's come this morning to speak just to you. I don't know what God's doing to each of you individually. But God will speak to our confusion, our heartbreak, our need, our insecurities, our, our cluelessness. He will speak to all of that. He will not cater. He will not cater to our entrenched skepticism and doubt. Well, how do I know when I cross the line? That's the problem. I don't think we know when we cross the line, but God knows our hearts even better than we know our hearts, and God knows when we've crossed the line, and when we've crossed the line, boy, are we in some serious trouble. We cross the line verbally. We cross the line intellectually with our thoughts and imaginations. We cross the line behaviorally. Our ethics or our morals or lack of ethics or lack of morals. We cross the line all the time. Well, God will forgive. God will forgive. God does forgive. God brings peace. He is a forgiving God. But he's not a stupid God. And when he knows we're just playing him. Okay, no, no, we're not, we're not going to dance like that. Not because he's cruel. But because he's God. Yeah. We can trifle with one another and laugh about it and push it even further than it should be pushed. And you might get a little slack. You want to trifle with God? Right. Right. How much more evidence and manifestation that we're trying to demand, as if we could demand anything. Thomas, you and everyone else in chapter 20, you believe because in my grace, I helped you to believe with some confirmation. I was happy to do it. When I say peace, I'm not playing with you. It's not just a word I use. I'm trying to give you peace. There's a whole bunch of people that don't demand that. And there's a blessing for those people. Blessed are those who don't demand that. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. This is why Paul says to his trembling, not biological son, but his discipleship son, his, his spiritual son, Timothy. He said, son, you've you got to find your spiritual legs. You've got to learn to stand up. Fight the good fight of faith. Believe that God knows what He's doing in your life. You can trust Him. I, I, you know, God's asking, I can't, I can't trust that because God doesn't know what I've been through and, and, and I've been so scarred I can't do that. God doesn't know what you've been through. You really want to say that? You really want to think that? Are you kidding me? God doesn't know what you've been through. And, 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 and maybe even, if not equal, worse than that, He can't equip you to deal with what you've been through. 
Have you read the story of Joseph or Daniel? Right. Have you read any of these great stories in the Bible that, that, that these young people did the unbelievable? They overcame the insurmountable because they had learned to trust God no matter what? Blessed are those who believe and have not seen naturally. The boy has their spiritual perception been made crystal clear. This is why the writer in Hebrews, the New Testament, says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not even seen. Not even seen. That's the promise at the end of verse 29. And you see it played out in the rest of the New Testament. We have nothing to fear. Our God is up from the dead. And he, he reassures us day after day after day. We have the Holy Spirit to remind us. God is still with us in spirit. We have no reason to be afraid. We have no reason to be full of doubt. We have no reason to hedge our bet as if walking with Jesus is a gamble. There's no gamble. We have no reason to hold back. We have no reason to uh, give yourself a safety net. This may not work out. We have no reason for any of that. We have every reason to go all in 100% with no with no plan B. I'm in with Jesus. He's going to carry me. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. We have every reason to live that way. Because we've seen enough. Yeah. And we still see with the eyes of faith. I believe Jesus is worthy of that kind of a life yeah. from us. So I want to say with you just now, I just glanced the clock and, and I just step away, point, come back. Just, just let the record show and be it in your memory that on Easter Sunday you actually got out about five minutes early. <laughs> We're going to sing this song, and the big question is, is he worthy? Oh, he is. He is. And I'm telling you, he's worthy of a life all in. Because he went all in for us. He's worthy of that from us. Stand with me.